So we're continuing our series that we've been on um, of the blessed life. And it comes from a series that um, we received from Gateway Church with Robert Morris. And we've been watching the videos in Sunday school uh, in the morning at 9 a.m. I'd encourage you, if you're not coming to that already, it's not too late. Show up at 9 a.m. on Sundays. It will bless you. It will bless your life. I'm telling you, it has been awesome. Who here has been to at least a, a morning of Sunday school? Yeah, it has been fantastic. So um, what I'm going to cover this morning, if you're in Sunday school this morning, there's going to be a little overlap. Um, and I know a lot of you weren't there, so I'm going to go through and review. If you were there, hang with me. You're going to hear a little bit of repeated content, but um, I'm excited for it. All right. So today we are talking about the principle of the first. Would everyone say the first? The first. What do we think about when we think about the first? One of the first things that comes to my mind is, um, so I'm, I'm one of ten kids. Matter of fact, I, I'm kind of a victim of it because I'm seven out of ten kids. So I had six older siblings. Um, and I had five brothers. And one of the first things I think of when I think of first um, is every time there was a meal, which ironically was a few times a day, there was a race to see who was going to get there first. And I'll tell you what, the race really wasn't about who was going to get the first plate. For growing boys, and my mom could attest to this, the race was actually who could get through the first plate first and be back for seconds. If you've got boys in your house, I'm sure you understand. Uh, it can be an intense, intense race to seconds on the plate. I still have that some days. You know, we're, we are over at Brian and Mindy sometimes. I sit there sometimes and think, boy, they see how fast I get after seconds sometimes. I always want a second plate. It's ingrained in me. It's crazy. So from that day forward, um, there was this, there was this principle that I picked up as a kid about first. I wanted to be first. I wanted to be first place. That carried through a lot of competitive sports. I mean, a lot of different things. There are some great stories. Um, I was a winner. Well, I like to win. I like to think I was a winner. Um, I'm going to share a quick story really quick because I've got the time for it. Um, I like to win so much. I had no plans to share this, but I'm going to go for it. I like to win so much um, that when I would compete with my brothers, it would get a little intense. Um, and I remember me and my little brother, Ethan, and hopefully he doesn't see this today because I'm going to embarrass him a little bit. He was a little bit smaller than me. He wasn't a runt, but um, a little bit smaller than me. Um, and I'm older about by about 18 months. Um, we would play living room one-on-one football. And I will tell you what, just in the, that competitive spirit in me, mom loved china plates. Does anyone remember those plates you'd put put up in the living room and there'd be a little stand and it'd have a decorative painting on it? We weren't targeting those plates. But I don't think a single one of them survived. I mean... We threw a football through every one of them. Uh, the kickoff was especially a dangerous part of the game. We didn't, we didn't cheap ourselves out on the living room football. We did a kickoff every time we, th- we scored. Anyways, I wanted to be first. I wanted to be first. Who here likes to be first? It's not a trick question. We like to be first, right? We like to be first. So today we're going to talk about God's principle 
of first. And if you've got your Bible, I'd love if you would open it with me to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus 13. Now, I've got to be honest. Just about every time, I'm just going to be transparent about my thought process. About every time someone starts in uh, Exodus or anywhere in the Pentateuch, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, I'm thinking we're about to get a law lesson. Anyone else feel that way sometimes? We're about to get a law lesson. And I'm not sure how, how I'm going to feel about how this is all going to shake out. Uh, an encouragement I have for you today as we look through some law principles um, is, is out of 1 Corinthians 10. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says that the law is an example for us to live by, an example that goes before us. So as we look at these principles today, let's, let's take the law as Paul stated it for us now in the second covenant. This is an example before us. These principles are wholesome. They're good. So Exodus 13, we're going to go start in 1 and 2. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Sanctify to me every firstborn, the firstborn of every womb among the sons of Israel, among people and animals alike. It belongs to me. So God said, the firstborn among animals and people, the first produce of the womb, it belongs to me. Now, if you notice that last statement, it belongs to me, it's it's really... A possessive statement. God is saying, that is mine. That's set apart for me. Then let's continue down in verse 12 and 13. You shall devote to the Lord every firstborn of a womb, every firstborn offspring of an animal that you own. The male belongs to the Lord. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. But if you don't redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And every firstborn among your sons, you shall redeem. So here's what God's saying here. This is a little bit of an odd scripture, um, especially the break the neck part. So hang with me here. I'm going to explain this. So under the law that God gave to Moses for the Israelite people, his chosen people that are set apart for him, God set up a system of purifying through first fruits. And this was a a set in the law where there were two sets of animals. There were clean animals and there were unclean animals. Um, So right here in in this scripture, Moses is laying out an example um, between two animals. Uh, He's talking about here a donkey and a lamb. Now, a lamb would fall within the clean and a donkey would fall within the unclean. And what God's saying is, Bring the firstborn to me, or the first fruits of the womb. Bring the first to me and sacrifice it before me. And, and this donkey line, what he's saying is, if you don't redeem it with something that's clean, so give something in its place to cleanse it, you're going to lose it anyways. That's what he's saying when he's saying break its neck. You're going to lose it anyways. It's going to be gone away. So he's saying bring the first to me, otherwise you're going to lose it. So from there, we're going to go from to Proverbs, and, and um, I'm hitting some scriptures here, um, so just hang with me. Proverbs 3, 7 through 10. Right here, let's hear it from the start, and, and take this first phrase and remember it. We're going to come back to it. Do not be wise in your own eyes. 
So remember that. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, I want to get a little context on this verse when we're talking about God saying, bring me your first, honor me with your wealth and bring me your first. And he's saying that um, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. But context here, I want to point out, he starts by saying, do not be wise in your own eyes. What could he be saying there? Don't be wise in your own eyes. What he's saying is don't try to do this in the system that is logical before you. Don't try to please God with the system that's logical in your mind and your own wisdom. He says, turn from the, turn away from evil and fear the Lord. And then he says, honor the Lord with your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So he's saying here, follow the, follow the principles. Don't get off in your logical mindset. And what I want to get at here um, as we get into this is that God isn't necessarily, and hear me here, God isn't necessarily looking for your best. Think about that. God isn't asking for your best. He asks for your first now, this breaks down my logic a little bit. If I were God, I'd be looking for, man, what's the best thing from Al, that Alan can give me? Because it seems logical God would want that. God might want Alan's best. What can he give me? But he doesn't ask for that. He asks for the first, the first produce, the first increase, the first fruit from Alan. Why is that? Why is that? So there's this theological word, and this is going to be our theological term of the day. And the word is preeminence. Preeminence means having a paramount rank of dignity and importance. So number one, essentially, is what we're saying. A number one trophy. Preeminence means having number one rank of uh, dignity and importance. This is a key element of the nature of who God is. He is preeminent. It's who he is. It's not what he does. It's actually who he is. It's his nature. It's like how I have an arm. Um, it's, I don't do an arm. I have an arm. It's, it's my nature. It's, it's who I am. So that's what God, God is saying. All right. So we're going to get into a story time here. I'm excited for this. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 22. So if you've got your Bibles, let's turn there. And we're going to go through a remarkable story about the life of Abraham. Now, Abraham was a man, and he was from Ur of the Chaldeans. And he was there, and at this time his name was Abram, and he was married to a woman named Sarai. They were living there, and God saw Abraham... And saw a man who was living faithfully to him. Who was following his principles under his ordinances. Like Mike talks about last, last week. The normally order of con, normal order of conduct. Um, 
Abraham was living in this. God saw that and was pleased with Abraham. And he did a remarkable thing with Abraham's life. He called him out. He spoke to him. And he said, I want you to go to a place I will lead you. What's amazing is that Abraham did it. And God gave him no destination. He did not tell him where he was going to take him. But Abraham picked up his family, picked up his wealth, and he went. And he started traveling in a direction God gave him without knowing where the destination was. Through his life, God was really faithful to Abraham and spoke to him many times. And Abraham had been very faithful to God. Um, He had showed willfulness to the Lord, obedience to the Lord. All those great things we're looking for in a good godly man. This is what Abraham was demonstrating. And God was blessing him. God was pouring out uh, remarkable wealth on him, uh, increase in his sheep, increase in his uh, barns and his farming. God's hand was on him. He was directing him in, in great places. But there was one thing that Abraham didn't have. Abraham had no children. Sarai, and then later Sarah, uh, was barren. They had no children. And the storyline goes up to where they are approaching their later years. And Sarah is about 90 years old. And Abraham is approaching 100 years old. And God had made a promise to Abraham and Sarah that he would increase them through his offspring and that it would bless the whole earth. And he had said that um, their descendants would be uh, more numerous than the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. But there were no children. Sarah was barren and she was nearly 90 years old. Now think about this in real life terms. 90 years old. This promise is dead. And the church today, at this point, you know, someone's got a promise, um, and we've got a hundred year old man and a 90 year old woman. And, and the hundred year old man is saying, Hey, God has promised me descendants that are going to bless the earth. We're looking at this guy, a little strange, right? I mean, hundred years old, his wife is 90 years old. How could God possibly work this out? What's interesting is Abraham was looking at himself in that same sense. He believed in the promises of God. He believed that God had great things in store. He knew this promise was true. God had spoken it to him. But there was no evidence. No evidence. And it was seemed like it's getting a little too late. So God does something remarkable. He comes to Abraham and tells him, late in life, that they're going to have a child. The child of promise would finally come. Now, if you know the story, you know that Abraham got a little off track um, with this. He decided, I'm going to make this happen. Um, they took one of Sarah's servants, and then they bore a child through Sarah's servant, uh, Hagar, and they named the child uh, Ishmael. But it wasn't actually God's promised child because he tried to do it his own way. Now, that's another message. But after that, the Lord was graceful to Abraham and gave him another chance. He did a miracle and opened Sarah's womb, 90 years old, and she had a child. And they named the child Isaac. Crazy story. 
But God's promise had come about through a miraculous, miraculous performance. God brought forth a son for Abraham and Sarah. Now imagine where Abraham was. God has done everything. Everything. Blessed him beyond measure. Given him this child. A lifelong journey of faithfulness, commitment to God. Something I desire. Something you desire. He'd done it. He was late in age. And he had the promised son, Isaac. He was there. It was coming forth. He was raising this boy, raising him in the ways of the Lord. But then we get to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. And I'm going to read some here, so hang with me. Genesis chapter 22. Now it, came, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he split wood for the burnt offering and he set out and went to the place that God had told him. So we see right there, God had given Abraham an instruction to go and give up the promise the promised son, the miraculous son, as a sacrifice to God. Seems like a crazy ask to me. Let's continue. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, so his servants, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took it in his hand and uh, with the fire and a knife. So the two of them walked together. Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and he said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Look, we got the fire. We have the wood. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together. So they're going, they're traveling. Abraham sees a place far off. And I have to imagine by what the verse is insinuating that the Lord says to him, that's the spot. Must speak it in his spirit. That's the spot you're going to go to. That's the mountain. So he takes the servants he was traveling with. He says, stay here. Stay with the donkey. The boy and I are going to go worship the Lord. And then we're coming back. Now what's going on there? God had told Abraham... You're going to go and sacrifice your son. And he's telling his servants, we're coming back. So they came to the place where God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. Abraham reached out with his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not reach out your hand against the boy and do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. So he lays the boy on the altar. What a remarkable thing. What a scary thing. 
just think about this for a minute. God gave him the fullness of his promise. All of it. The wealth, the descendant, he was set up. And now God is saying, take the one thing that remains this greatest prize, this first, this only son, and give him to me. Lay it before me and sacrifice it before me. This is a challenge to me because this doesn't seem like something God would ask. That he would give me everything that he promised. Then he wants me to kill it, lay it down, get rid of it. This seems like a waste, God. This doesn't seem like God's plan. So he goes and he's faithful and obedient And Isaac is laying there. He's going to sacrifice his son. What a bizarre idea to us. He's going to sacrifice his son. And right when he's ready, the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham, don't lay a hand on him. Don't lay a hand on him. Now I see that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, or what I want to get at here. The first of the end of your promise. Now I see that you love me even more than what I promised and gave to you. Then Abraham raised his eyes, looked up, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide, as it said, as it is called to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So, think about this. We've got this instruction in Exodus, um, in the, in Exodus, but this story is taking place in Genesis. This is before that law was laid out. But God works in this principle that he laid out in the law to the Israelites. And he says, here's your son, but I'm going to provide a ram, a clean ram as a redemption sacrifice for your son. Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Now, Abraham was willing to give the first of his miraculous event. I mean, a great thing, something we desire. Lord, what do you want to do in us? Father, we're here to receive. We'll be faithful to you. Man, in that place, Abraham was there, and the Lord gave it to him. Blessed him beyond measure. The son of promise. The very first of all those descendants God had promised Abraham, more numerous than the sand, more numerous than the stars, God gave it to him. The first fruits of a huge promise that the Lord was going to work within. And he asked for the first in a sense of what would destroy it, what would take it away. Still willfully, Abraham went and gave it. This was Abraham's legacy, his loved one, and he gave it up. 
Now, I want to show you a really incredible paradigm. In that first fruit, man, that motivates me. That motivates me. What promises do I have from the Lord that I've received and he's asking for, but I'm holding it back. I'm saying, Lord, the first of this, this is for me to enjoy because you gave it to me. That's not what God's saying. He's saying the first is set apart for me. It belongs to me. It's mine. I want to show you a really incredible paradigm. You remember back when we said where this was taking place, Mount Moriah? 18 centuries later, on a hill called Golgotha, 300 yards from Mount Moriah, God would send his one and only son, like he referred to twice in Genesis 22 for Abraham, his one and only son, he would send as the first of many that would be redeemed. And he would give it up 300 yards away for you and I. God's son of promise to redeem you and me. He would give up 18 centuries later mere yards, three football fields from where this took place with Abraham. God was working on something, a principle in the line of human history, laying it out so clear to us that if we want the best of what God has, we have to give of the best that he's given to us. Bring it to him as our first fruit offering before him. First, we've all heard John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave, like he said with Abraham, his one and only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Now you see, there's another part of this story that's really interesting to me. So we see the story of Abraham. Abraham the, uh, had a son, his first fruit. He willfully, willfully offered it to the Lord, brought it to the Lord. It set up a miraculous thing for God to send his son and to redeem for you and I. Only on the chance that you and I would believe in him and step into everlasting life. From there, I want to look at um, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty through 23. But the fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man death came, by a man also came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. For each in his order, Christ the first fruits, after that those who are Christ at his coming. So God, let me tell you guys, we are walking in a setup by God. We are walking in a setup of human history. God set a principle all the way back and said, the first are mine. The first of your increase are mine. The first of Abraham's increase was the Lord's. Then he came in the middle of history and he said, the first of mine is yours. The first of my son 
will be the lamb for your redemption. Now, when we look in Exodus at the picture of the clean animals and the unclean animals, how many of you know which one we are? Or unclean. Jesus came, think about this, as a perfect, clean, sinless, sacrificial lamb. That he'd be sacrificed for us so that we could be redeemed. Redemption means to be bought back. Bought back. Uh, a good picture of redemption uh, would be like a pawn shop. You go and you give an item. They give you some cash. When you come back for that item, you redeem it from the pawn shop. You buy it back. That's what God did for you and I. And he did it in a picture of first fruits. So when the Lord says in Exodus, the first of your increase is mine. This is something for us to step into and to say, Lord, you gave me your first fruit. I'll gladly give mine back to you. I'll gladly give it back to you. What's amazing to me is that, guys, when we get this picture um, for ourselves, when we understand that he gave his only son as a redemptive first fruit for us, when we get to talking about our time, our talent, our treasure, giving it back to God, it's, it's not a real difficult concept to grasp. I mean, when we catch the revelation that the first fruit is what bought back our eternity. What is our time, talent, and treasure to us? When we can give it to the Lord, the first of it to the Lord, and it'll redeem the rest of it. So I just want to um, close with this today. I want to ask, what is the thing that we are trying to give to God? This is a generous church that we've got. This is, this is an awesome, generous church. We've seen it in the last few weeks um, with Bob and Wendy, what the Lord has done through this uh, relatively small group of people, this congregation. It's incredible. But here's, here's just a paradigm shift that I want to challenge us with today. Um, where is it that we are giving God our best when he's asking for our first? Where is it we might be saying, God, I'm going to work this all together. I'm going to get all these pieces together for you. Then I'm going to bring my best sacrifice to you. When really he's saying, don't worry about working it out in yourself. When I increase you, just give me the first. Just give me the first. And he will redeem the rest. Amen. Let's, let's pray and we will close. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your word of truth. Um, Father, I just thank you um, for your redemption work that you did in your plan um, and your timing. Lord, I, I think um, as Abraham was going up um, with his son,
you didn't give him the end plan. You didn't share with him what you were going to do at the top of that mountain. Yet as he walked up, he did so in obedience to you. Father, would you challenge our hearts with that? Would you challenge our hearts with that? Father, I thank you that as we look at the picture of your redemption for us, you showed us what was going to happen on the mountaintop. Lord, we're living on the other side of it. We saw where your son died and redeemed us from our sins. Lord, I ask for every heart and every ear that's listening here in this room and online. Father, would we recognize the redemptive power of your blood and see the first fruit that you gladly gave up for the opportunity of redemption of ourselves eternally unto you. Lord, would our hearts be moved by this? Lord, see our hearts. Father, I ask as we talk um, in this series about giving to you, Lord, um, the principles of our tithe, of our first fruit, of giving of our time, talent, and treasure. Lord, first find us with a heart that would say yes to giving our first most important increase to you so that you would redeem us within your principles. Lord, would we not find ourselves abiding within a law of the flesh, a work of the flesh, but would we abide by your spirit? Father, as we go this week, Lord, your joy would be with us. Um, your presence would go before us and behind us and all around us. Um, Lord, would your joy follow us and could we be vessels of you um, between now and when we return next week. In your name we pray. Amen.